0: Welcome to PhotoActive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, Jeff. Happy Holidays. We missed our Christmas episode and you alerted our um, faithful listeners on Facebook and via email. Because we just kind of were too busy and we didn't want to rush through an episode, which is really kind of important, today's episode. And the feature that we're going to talk about was so new that you hadn't had much time to look at it.
1: Exactly. So uh, we want to talk about raw files.
0: Now, wait a minute. We've talked about is raw like before. like raw fish?
1: It's exactly like raw fish. Sometimes it really stinks. <laughs> but <laughs> But sometimes when you have it... Fresh and uh, i'm not even going to continue
0: with that okay but as you said we've talked about it before the difference between raw files and jpegs there'll be a link in the show notes to that episode uh, what we're going to talk about today is the fact that the new iphone well the iphone pro you have to be a pro to have this feature has a new feature that apple calls pro raw and the real question is is it really raw so let's start with just about shooting raw on an iphone why would you want to do this
1: well, for a few reasons, and and let me set a baseline. Uh, we've been able to shoot raw on an iPhone for I want to say four or five generations of of iPhones by this point. However, there were a lot of a lot of caveats. So, for one thing, you could never shoot raw using Apple's camera app, even though like the specification was there, the support for creating a raw file was there. Apple kind of figured that this was beyond most people, which uh, honestly it kind of is. And so they just never incorporated that into the camera app. So what happened was other developers could take that specification and create a specific uh, DNG. So it's a a, a Adobe digital negative format, that would create a raw file and then those apps could then work with that.
0: Now every camera shoots raw files because that's the sensor data and then the camera manipulates these files uh, to create JPEGs using their own formulas and recipes and special sauces. The thing is that Apple didn't want people to bother with it before, but as we run out of new features to add to the iPhone, we have to come up with pro features to entice people to buy the new iPhone. Is, is that maybe the way it works in marketing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, that has a lot to do with it. I think some of it too is that, so when you create a raw file, like the raw file, uh, you know, just going back to the basics um, is just mostly the sensor data. And so um, it doesn't look like anything until you do something with it that image data Now we have to sort of switch and think about uh, the the image sensor because uh, iPhones have a very small like physically small image sensor that I think is still what 12 megapixels
0: is that It's still 12 megapixels. Yeah. Yeah
1: with 12 megapixels. You're just not getting as much information to work with as you would, say, like on our Fuji cameras that have 26 or Sony's that have even more than that. So when you capture a RAW file using one of these other camera apps, the file that you create is not that great in the sense of looking like what you saw in the camera because the the RAW file itself, the, the RAW format, has a lot of data in it but it's very minimally processed and so then you need to take the raw file into something else like uh, Lightroom or even the Photos app or anything that will do the editing and that's when you can bring out the tones and the colors and, and, and really work with it more than if you were to just shoot a regular uh, JPEG or HEIC file from the the built-in camera app, which has all of that stuff done when you shoot it.
0: Okay, so there's one exception to this. Most of the time when you take a RAW file from a camera and you put it on your Mac, you will see something that looks good because your camera has shot both the JPEG and the RAW and embedded the JPEG in the RAW file. Um, on the Mac, the one app where I don't see this is Affinity Photo. If I bring a raw file into Affinity Photo, it looks murky because they have their develop persona that you have to use to process the raw file. If I bring a raw file into Apple Photos, it automatically reads that JPEG image that's in there that was shot at the same time. Well, it was processed right after the image was taken by the camera. Yeah. Um, I just want to interject that we spent about an hour before we started recording because of the subtleties involved with this. Um, There are a lot of things that we're going to really gloss over because we don't want to spend another hour talking about them. Um, Raw files are essentially raw data, sensor data. Um, They include additional data telling when a photo was shot, um, what time, what altitude, GPS location, and any settings that you may have applied. So if I'm using my Fujifilm uh, X-T3, I shoot an Acros very often with highlights plus one and shadows plus two. So those settings are recorded in the file. So when I bring it into another app, um, that app will know what those settings were, and I can adjust them uh, if I want to go back to the baseline of the raw image, but that raw data hasn't been changed by those settings. What I also
1: want to point out is sometimes uh, an app will use that built-in JPEG, uh, which is is usually like a a lower resolution. It's not like a full resolution JPEG. Uh, It it will use that as the preview in, say, photos. Um, It's mostly there just so that when you're shooting with like a regular camera, you have something to look at on the back of your camera in a little LCD so you, you get an idea of what it is. Some applications just ignore that and build their own so like lightroom for example uh you mentioned affinity's develop module well
0: yeah. Lightroom develop persona it's sorry a persona. develop
1: persona oh yes I, the terminology just drives me crazy <laughs> uh so so in in lightroom uh lightroom does the same thing i mean all Applications that open a RAW file have to quote develop the RAW file because it needs to go from just those ones and zeros to something that that's visible. Um, and, and so, what Lightroom will do is, when you bring in a RAW image, it ignores whatever thumbnail the camera made and will just uh, translate that on the fly. And 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 th- then you start working with it.
0: Right. So it's the same. It's the same in Affinity Photo, but you you start from that baseline point and you have to make the adjustments to be able to work with it
1: yeah yeah right actually uh, when you open a raw file in photoshop for example you don't just open it in photoshop first it goes through adobe camera raw to be able to do that so this sounds like kind of a a, an abstract non-important thing but actually it will play into pro raw in a few minutes so, okay.
0: I want to just point out one of my bugbears of terminology. I don't understand why people use the term develop to talk about raw files. I would prefer the term process. They're, they've taken develop from the old camera development where you shine light through a negative on a piece of paper.
1: That's exactly um, But why. that's
0: not what you're doing. You're actually processing data... Um, and that processing is fungible. You can move it up and down, whereas when you're developing a photo, um, you've got a set amount of time that you've got your enlarger shining the light, and that's it. Um, You know, in any of these apps, you can, but depending on the app, if it has a developed persona, you can't go back and change the original um, settings that go from raw to the next step, but in most other apps, you can.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Okay, I want to ask a question. Um, yes. We've been spe- we've spent an hour and a half talking about this. Um, <laughs> and we're going to link in the show notes to an article by Ben Sandowski. He's one of the developers of the app Halide that we'll be discussing today. It's Understanding Pro-RAW. And he goes through thousands of words to talk about how RAW files work. And we're going to skip over a lot of that why would you even want to shoot raw files on an iPhone? Because one of the advantages of the iPhone is this really, really advanced computational photography where I don't know how many frames they shoot at one time and they mix them all together as if you're doing like 64 layers in Photoshop and you're picking bits from here and there Mm -hmm. and then it's flattened and you have an image with 13 trillion transistors and however many operations per second. Mm -hmm. Why would you want to bother with raw files on an iPhone?
1: So... I think for the same reason that you would bother with a raw file on a regular camera, you're getting more data, more malleable data that you can work with. So when you're shooting just a regular iPhone image, you're, you're accepting a limitation because not only is, well, let's, let's take out for a second, all of the computational processing that the iPhone is doing. You're, you're, ending up with a JPEG or an HEIC file, which is by its nature compressed. It's already, all the, the, the settings that the camera determined in terms of, of light and color, like those are all baked in and that's what you get. Now you can absolutely go and edit that, but you don't have as much data underneath to work with. So a very common example is, let's say you have an area that has you know a, a dark foreground, when you're shooting a raw image, there, there, there's more image data in that area so you can bring up the shadows and still have an acceptable looking foreground that, that brings out color and detail rather than if you were to take that same image, let's say the foreground is mostly black and you erase the shadows in a JPEG, you might just get a whole lot of noise or a whole lot of just you know uh, patchy bits because the, the
0: data is just not there. Okay, I want to just give a number as an example. And you've got some sample photos that you've put into a folder. and I don't know which ones we're going to put into the show notes. Um, You have an HEIC photo. So HEIC is the new sort of default um, compressed image format on the iPhone and iPad. Mm -hmm. Um, It comes out to 4.2 megabytes. Uh, the pro raw file you have after that is 32 megabytes, and the halide raw file is 25 megabytes. So, just very simply, you'll see that the raw file has eight times as much data, which means that when you're editing that file, think of it as. Have you ever seen those paintings by Roy Lichtenstein, which look like comic books, but blown up? Well, think about your, your JPEG, your HEIC file is like blown up, so you're gonna see all the dots and that your RAW file is a higher resolution. So when you do edit things and move them around, you won't get as many artifacts. Yeah, exactly. And so even, you know, setting
1: ProRAW aside, even if you have what we call sort of an iPhone RAW, so using Apple's specification, that when you let's say you use uh, adobe's lightroom app which can uh, capture raw files and then you can then edit it you have more data to work with and you have more everything you have more everything it's better (laughs) it's just magically better
0: well another example is um if you have a lossless audio file that you've taken from a CD, for example, compared to a low bitrate MP3, if you're going to do something like apply equalization to that file, um, the, the MP3 might have some noise in it, some distortion, some artifacts, whereas the lossless file won't. So it's a similar thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, that's actually a really good analogy. Um, Thank you. <laughs> coming from, from for you, who's, who's, who's more, more audio-focused.
0: Yeah, but so my question about why would you want to shoot raw on the iPhone is that this is a whole different workflow. Um, yes. One of the advantages of the iPhone and, and in their last uh, presentation of the iPhone 12, you saw all these um, HDR photos with you know varying levels of light like bright and dark in the same mm-hmm. photo and the way that mm-hmm. the computational photography manages to merge them to make photos that look really impressive. Why would you want to go back then and take a raw file and start over? Because here's the thing. If you're a professional photographer, you're gonna have a real camera. And I say that with little air quotes, because yeah. I still don't consider that an iPhone as a real camera, even though it's a pretty darn good camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're gonna use that real camera because you're gonna have the 24 or even 50 um, megapixels that you're gonna need for professional photographic work. Yeah. If not, why use the RAW?
1: So some of this I think is actually depends upon you. It depends upon how much you wanna go in and work with the file. Like some people, um, you know, l- let's say you're a landscape shooter, you probably want to go in and manipulate things. You want to, you know, change the sky. You want to change the foreground. You want to, you know, do all that sort of editing. And so RAW gives you that ability to to really go in and you know throw the sliders and 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 sort of work with the file rather than sliders. just. Rather than just, you know, accepting what the camera gives you.
0: Episode 83, throw the sliders. Throw the sliders. (laughs) I like that expression. (laughs) Okay, so let's get to Apple's new Pro RAW. The first thing is, you told me before we started recording, it's not really RAW. So should we call it faux RAW? We could call it faux
1: RAW. I think this is another instance of Apple having very good marketing because there are many characteristics of RAW about this. It's got a lot more data, more to work with, et cetera. But there's kind of a, a, a geeky distinction about this. So when you take a RAW image, a typical RAW image from a camera, uh, as we said, it's just, it's just the sensor data, ones and zeros. And so part of the process of turning that into an image is called demosaicing and that's basically how to turn that data into images and colors and what have you. With the ProRAW format, Apple has already done the demosaicing. So it's taking a bunch of different captures. So it's, you know, maybe 5 or 6 captures as you shoot, you press the shutter button, and it's putting those together and it's doing the demosaicing step. And then it's doing its own, um, you know, smart computational magic on that result. So, technically, it's not really a RAW. It's a linearized DNG, which is an RGB
0: file. Well, and to use the musical analogy I used earlier, it's like a lossless file um, as opposed to... Uh, an uncompressed file, so it's still compressed in certain ways. Uh, the difference being that you can't go back to the original from this point, and and that's probably what makes it very different from RAW. RAW is always the original. There's th- the only thing more original than the RAW is the scene you shot. But at this point, we're a step past that. Exactly. In fact,
1: there's a unique characteristic of RAWs that because of the way algorithms are updated and software is improved, you can go back to a RAW you shot 10 years ago with, say, you know, like an old Nikon D60 or something. Uh, you, You could go back and you can reprocess that RAW using better RAW algorithms and actually get, like, a better result than what you could when you first developed it. And so it would be like going back to an old negative and reprinting it. Exactly, exactly. With these ProRAW files, you can't do that. In 10 years, when we go back to these, they're going to look exactly as they look now. Now, there might be, you know, I'm sure better uh, software and maybe give you more control over the data that's underneath. But
0: you can't reprocess that, that negative in the same way. And when we talk about processing, we mentioned earlier uh, Affinity Photos develop Persona. Persona. And this is where you uh, apply some of the basic settings to uh, an image file to create an image. And this includes like exposure and brightness and contrast and things that you can do later. You can do them on a JPEG later in an image editing program. But if they're going to be baked into that original faux raw file, then you do have limitations.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, let's let's be realistic. I think for most people in most cases, it's it's not a real limitation. But because we're talking about raw in the first place, we're already talking about people who want more control over editing their images, who see a situation and they say, all right, maybe this is really dark, but I know that there's gonna be enough data here that I can open this up when I'm editing it. I can make something out of a dark image, whereas if you just took a regular JPEG or the HEIC file that that the regular uh, iPhone camera uh, creates, then you may not
0: have that flexibility. Okay, so the ProRAW file also includes some additional data uh, something that's called a local tone map. And this is really interesting. We're going to link in the show notes to a video that Nick Bott of Gentleman Coders um, produced a couple of days ago. Um, Nick's been on the show a couple of times and he explains this really well. And what's interesting is his app, Raw Power, includes a slider called Local Tone Map. And seeing this, you really understand what this does. Uh, simply, when You open a file, the local tone map is set at the maximum, which is Apple's decision of this is the perfect photo. You can reduce it, and there are reasons to reduce it. We'll talk about that. But as you reduce it, you can see your photo going from evenly exposed to maybe too dark and too light in different areas. So imagine if you're doing HDR photos, um, you know that one of them looks really dark and one looks really bright. And here, as you move the slider, you see those different stages. I actually find this quite fascinating because if you don't like Apple's final decision, with with an app like Raw Power, presumably other apps should support this in the future, you can tone that back just a little bit.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think what's also interesting about uh, local tone mapping is the local part. And this is something that I had to wrap my head around a little bit, in that I believe that there's data in there that is specifically talking about different areas of your photo. So it's actually, for example, let's say you have a sky, and under normal circumstances, that sky would be blown out. Uh, we'll have some examples in the show notes. Um And, you know, when you're there and you're looking at the sky, you see the blue sky, but maybe the foreground is dark. Well, the camera typically wants to uh, expose as much as it can for the foreground, and then the sky will just get blown out to white. What local tone mapping does is that says, okay, we're just going to affect all these pixels here in in this area and apply... This, this tone mapping to it. So the result is, in this situation, if I reduce the local tone mapping, the sky blows out to white and I get a little bit a uh, little bit more color and, and tone in, in the dark shadow areas. But the most dramatic example, the most dramatic effect, is
0: in that sky. One thing that's interesting is uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to the the tag, which is the the description of the metadata. Um, On the Adobe website, this is a new tag that was introduced in the DNG 1.6 format. The tag is called Profile Gain Table Map, and you can essentially map a photo in regions, but your region could be pixel by pixel if you want. I don't think that's what Apple's doing. And in fact, in Nick's uh, video, it doesn't seem like that. He's talking about small local areas, which makes more sense. If you've got a dark area, a light area, you can generally map them out pretty easily. But it could be at, at, at pixel scale when you look at how the tag uh, is set up. This means that essentially it's describing the intensity of light in the different sections of the photo. Nick talks about comparing this to dodging and burning when you're doing actual prints, and I would like to see an ability to work with this data on a local level instead of just a slider for an entire photo.
1: Yeah, that that would be helpful. In fact, that's, that's kind of what... We were expecting when Pro Raw was first announced, because we know that Apple is basically taking a scene and slicing it up into into various bits and then merging them all together. That's that's the computational photography that has advanced the science of of you know smartphone photography. Um, what's also interesting about this is, you know, Nick is, has added that one slider into Proraw and I think that's because um, you know Nick knows all of these specs in and out. Um, uh, Raw Power uses Apple's underlying imaging engine so he can, he can tie into all those things. Those aren't available in other applications yet. So for example, uh, if you open a Pro Raw image in Lightroom, Lightroom just treats it as a regular linearized DNG. And so, the same photo where I see a blue sky, Lightroom blows the sky out and actually it's it's there's a lot of contrast between the light and the dark. And it's it's not taking advantage of any of this local tone mapping. Now you can go in and you know make adjustments, you know, reduce the, the highlights and uh, bring up some of the shadows, etc., and get that blue sky back, but you have to go in and you have to work for it. And that's because Lightroom just doesn't have this control. And surprisingly, there's another application that doesn't have this control. I wonder what that could be. I don't know, but... It sounds a lot like Rotos.
0: <laughs> Rotos? I don't know. By, the, by, that com- by that company Snapple?
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so Photos, Apple's own tool, doesn't have any specific control to deal with this. And I think a lot of that is, is the Apple ethos, which is we know how to make things better. And this is much better than most, uh, most shots that you're going to get. And so this is what you're going to get. I mean, you can still edit with all, all the usual tools, exposure, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but there's nothing that, that specifically controls the tone mapping. And in that video that Nick put up, there's a really good example of a sunset where actually the local tone mapping really kind of mutes the, the sunset. There's no sort of uh, pops of yellow and highlights that you would normally see, and it ends up kind of looking like a, I don't know, kind of a flat image. So I think this is a case where I think 95% of the time, local tone mapping and ProRAW is going to get you a great image and what you're expecting, and it's great. And every once in a while, you're going to find a situation where it just looks maybe a little over-processed, or it looks uh, muddy or flat, and... Unless you have something like, like Raw Power or hopefully in the future uh, support from all these other apps that will specifically work on this, this aspect of it, you just have to accept that result and you can't really do anything about it.
0: So, this raises an interesting question. Is Adobe going to add a slider to Lightroom for certain photos taken only with one specific camera model? Well, two, because it's the uh, iPhone 12 Pro and Pro Max. Yes. Um, whereas most people, even who use those cameras, won't be using Pro Raw. And if they did that, would other camera manufacturers expect? Uh, Lightroom to have special sliders for any new features that they add. What about a Huawei phone that has some new, um, you know, feature in their photos? W- where does the arms race end here? <laughs> well,
1: I think the arms race is, is sometimes the point when it comes to uh, the, these competing these competing applications. Um, my suspicion is. I mean, especially since Apple and Adobe worked together to add this new tag, this new element to the DNG spec, I would imagine that it's not a technical limitation that we're seeing. It's probably like an interface issue because do you want something that pops up just for these images that kind of throws off the Lightroom uh, experience, I guess? Um, There are ways they can do it. Like, for example, in the optics Uh, panel in Lightroom. You can see different options based on different raw uh, formats. So for example if you're editing a Nikon image you may see different controls for vignetting and uh, lens distortion that are different from say the geometry controls and the, the the regular vignetting control. So I think that there's some flexibility to do it but this is a this is a toning issue. This would be basically throwing a new control into the main section that everybody works on. And that adds, you know, questions of, okay, somebody is editing a photo and they want to use the local tone mapping. Well, maybe they don't realize that they're not doing a pro-raw photo. So...
0: Well, you could dim it and and still have it visible, but dimmed and, and inaccessible. That's that would, true. My, my choice for, for an interface element would not... To, have it display sometimes and not display other times. I agree.
1: I agree entirely. But you know, then say in two years, do you have five different sliders that are you know dimmed out? So um, you know, I, I mean, th- this is pure speculation on on our part. But I would guess that the reason that we haven't seen that yet is is as much to do with interface and workflow as it is about how do we how do we edit this type of image. As much as we can.
0: Well, you sent me something just yesterday that um, Adobe, there's an issue with Lightroom displaying ProRAW photos overexposed and that to me sounds like there's a problem with the local tone mapping.
1: I I think they just haven't added that support for it yet. In the latest Lightroom release notes, there's like a little asterisk note that says Apple ProRAW Apple ProRAW DNG images may appear overexposed in Adobe apps compared to Apple Photos. We are working closely with Apple to address this. When you look at some photos that have been edited in Lightroom, they're not going to show any of this this uh, additional ProRAW effect. One of the first articles that went up right after the update that added ProRAW was released was one by Austin Mann. We'll have the link in the show notes. And he was showing off a whole lot of uh, sometimes very impressive effects. Like, for example, there's a really great Starfield shot uh, where he has a comparison of just the regular iPhone result and then a, a Pro Raw result. And it's, it's well, I would say night and day, but I guess it's night and night. But the differences <laughs> are very, very uh, extreme. However, in a lot of his, his uh, editing examples... You saw that extreme contrast, dark darks and white whites, and that's because he was using Lightroom and wasn't actually seeing the full Pro-Raw effect.
0: Right, because he was showing the unedited Pro-Raw files, but he was wrong without knowing it because Lightroom wasn't displaying them correctly. Yeah, yeah. Lightroom
1: was displaying a raw image correctly as Lightroom knew it. It just didn't know what to do with any of that the, the pro raw data and probably just skipped it, just ignored it,
0: right? And that calls into question the whole validity of his article, where he was es- essentially showing the pro raw files and saying that they look terrible and saying that they needed to be edited, which is not the case. And and we can see that in your examples um, that the pro raw files are designed to not be edited.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that. Uh, in a few weeks, or maybe a month, or you know, who knows how long, but probably not too long. I imagine Lightroom will support this correctly, and this will no longer be an issue. But if you are shooting with an iPhone 12 Pro or Pro Max now, and you're bringing your images, your your Pro RAW images into Lightroom, you may be running into this and saying, "Wait a minute! Th- I-, I was expecting this great thing, and when I look at my phone, wow, that sky is really blue." But when I bring it into Lightroom, that's the reason for the discrepancy between the two.
0: So, time for our snapshots. Jeff, what have you got?
1: I have a new camera bag. Not a big, full-size camera bag, but it's a camera bag to hold all the little bits and cables and and what have you that you can then put into a larger camera bag.
0: So, it's a bit bag.
1: It's a bit bag. Um, If you're sort of like me where I tend to carry a lot more than you do... Uh, back in the days when we would go to coffee shops and stuff. Um, so, like, right now I have some, some older, uh, I don't, maybe think tank bags. Uh, this is from Evergoods. It is the Civic Access Pouch 2L, 2 liter, I guess. And uh, it's at evergoods.us. And um, it's, it's just a really good accessory bag. Um, Right now, what I have is basically just a bag where you throw everything into it, and when you need something, you have to paw through and, and, you know, grab adapters and cables and your shutter release cable and things like that. Uh, This has just a nice collection of different pockets that you can put power bricks and just all those things and have them in one place and be able to, to easily open it up either from the top, there's like a quick access pouch, or, you know, to, to dig in. Uh, one of the nice things about it is it has kind of a, a diagonal zipper. So it opens um, kind of triangular. And uh, so you're not just, again, sort of reaching into a, a, an open maw. And the way they've designed it, when you have it fully open, that lid part just sets onto the, the table as well as the... The other side of it so well,
0: it, I suggest that listeners look in the show notes follow the link because the photos on the website um, for the product explain this Jeff didn't explain it very well <laughs> I um, it much if I better, didn't see honestly. the photo I don't think I would have understood it I mean you showed it to me live but I'm seeing that on the web and I find that really clever
1: I got it in a pre-order uh, it costs 55 dollars and that is certainly uh it's not cheap but it's gonna basically let me consolidate a bunch of stuff. Kirk, what do you have
0: this week? Well, this week I have a TV series and I don't Ooh. often talk about things like this, but I was watching a, a, a mini series a few weeks ago, since we haven't recorded in, in a month. Um, this goes back, it's called The Undoing. It's a sort of a mystery series with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. And when I was watching this, there were two things that struck me. It's not often in a TV series that I look at a frame someplace and think, wow, that's really interesting composition and cinematography. And there was a lot of that here, mostly in the exterior scenes, because the interiors, you don't have the same kind of options. But it was really striking cinematography. The second thing is it uses... Tilt shift lenses and lens blur effects a lot mm. to create a sort of attention. Now a tilt shift lens sometimes it's called like a toy camera look, the way it can make cars look like they're little toys and things. And it's not overused, it's occasionally like some shots establishing shots or someone's walking down a path and it it just it adds some some weirdness to the way it is. Now, a lens blur effect is when you have a blur, you've got sort of a circle that's in focus in the center of the frame, and outside it's slowly fading out to to be out of focus. It's not like a background blur with a shallow depth of field. You often see that effect on TV. You have a handheld camera, very shallow depth of field, and the faces partly in focus and everything else is blurry. But this was an actual lens blur effect. If you ever used the Snapseed app on iOS, it's got a nifty lens blur effect. Um, The series itself was quite interesting. Uh, It was produced by David Kelly. Again, Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant watch it for the mystery, but also enjoy the cinematography and the interesting photographic effects.
1: I will also add, uh, I recently, as part of the, during the holidays, I watched season four of Fargo. And um, again, excellent writing but the cinematography and the photography and the lighting is just amazing
0: that's changed a lot on tv it has yeah again you don't get that too much when it's interiors because it's all you know the lighting's all perfect and the sets are you know they're they're too static to have that sort of thing but more and more tv series when they're doing exterior shots you get some really interesting effects all right Thanks for listening to PhotoActive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the end. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to PhotoActive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast.